I opened straight up to the my dick section yeah. <laughs> and straight to the page that said my dick is the cops. <laughs> And that's when I knew I needed to buy it. That's a bumper sticker. Oh. Well, the, uh... They can't pull you over if you got that bumper sticker. Exactly. Welcome to the Hybrid Cub Scout Podcast with me, Emily Idolander. And me, Corinne Kalaski. Hello. We're happy to be back yes, talking with you lovely people. It's been too long. Yeah, too long. Yep. Although probably not for you because this is coming out two weeks after on our regular yeah, schedule. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's okay. True. But that's fine. <laughs> we still love you no matter what. And we're sorry that there's been a week gap in which we missed you mm-hmm. a lot. Yep. So um, we're excited today to be speaking with a Portland publisher named Greg Girding. That's right. And he is uh, the publisher of University of Hell Press. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Welcome. Yes, Thank welcome. You. <laughs> we haven't done this in so long. I like forget to greet our guests. I'm looking Sorry. at you like, hey, <laughs> remember the thing that I don't remember right now? <laughs> no. All right. Um, so Greg's bio is as follows. Uh, Greg Girding is a noted underground writer and publisher. He runs University of Hell Press, an indie book publishing imprint, and is the editor-in-chief of leading opinions and editorials website, The Big Smoke America. Greg graduated from the University of Maryland with a BA in English Language and Literature and then hit the streets to continue his education as a scholar and scrivener of the real world. He has had seven books published, five books of prose poetry, Poetry in Hell, The Burning Album of Lame, Loser Makes Good, (laughs) Piss Artist, and The Idiot Parade, a collection of short stories, Venue Voyeurisms, and his most recent book, I'll Show You Mine, an oral history on the subject of intimacy, was published by the Sager Sager. Sager Group in 2013. Greg founded the University of Hell Press in 2005 as a self-publishing brand and then expanded it to publishing others beginning in 2012, launching a platform for unconventional artistry. He started The Big Smoke America in late 2015 and has published over 1,700 articles and essays since. He has collaborated on projects with musicians and visual artists and is well known for organizing readings on both coasts. Greg was born in Kentucky, has lived and or worked in nearly every city in America, and currently resides in Portland, Oregon. Welcome, Greg. Thank you very better, much. Better a piss artist than no artist at all. <laughs> I agree. That's what I always say every morning when I wake up. <laughs> Dear morning affirmation. Yeah. I'll yeah. stare at myself in the mirror and say that. <laughs> it's, it's fun hearing all the titles listed right in a row. Do you feel accomplished when you hear them all at the same yeah. time? No. You should. Uh, it's a shitload of books. Do you feel like a deviant when you hear them all listed in a row? <laughs> More like, yeah. So punk rock. I love it. <laughs> Greg and I uh, met at... Uh, at uh, Portland Book Portland Festival. Book. I keep yeah. wanting to call I it know. Wordstock. It's not Wordstock oh, anymore. Yeah. Portland Book there. Festival. Mm-hmm. Sorry, literary arts. Mm. Portland no. Book Festival. I stand yeah. by it. Yeah. But, you know, you have, you. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's a little different for me. It's a little different for you. <laughs> yeah, we met while, uh, t- while I was tabling University of Hell's booth. 
Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, we got to chatting. It's always fun interacting with people. That's a really good festival, actually. Mm-hmm. It gets decent foot traffic. We were in a weird location because the whole thing got thrown out of whack when the ceiling fell in one of the ballrooms. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. At the Portland Art Museum, but the I'm ceiling sorry, fell the down. The people that did manage to find us, like you, yeah. thank you very much. I, always I was in, making the rounds. Yeah. <laughs> I always have some really uh, fun conversations with a lot of interesting people. and Yeah. So I'm super happy to be here. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. Yeah. Thank you for being so yeah. enthusiastic and bringing books to show yes. and tell. I've got yes. books for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Future I, future guests, if you would like to bring us presents, or feel free. We had somebody send us a bunch of zines in the mail. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. Nice. yeah. Hint, hint. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, I picked up this great book when I was visiting yes. um, you, and it's called All This Can Be Yours by Isabel O'Hare. Yeah. Can you tell me a little about them and about their book? Yes. It's a really powerful collection. Isabel was... Um, Compiling as uh, as apology statements were being released to the public surrounding uh, that that inspired the Me Too movement, mm-hmm. but like as as celebrities were being called out for their uh, sexual harassment, yeah, all, <laughs> assault, <laughs> all of it, and uh, with that came these uh, polished sort of weird. Non-apology statements that either were written by them or written by their team or whatever. But as they were being published, Isabel was taking the apology statements and and doing erasure poetry. So for those that may not know what erasure poetry is, it's just taking an original text and uh, taking essentially a Sharpie to, uh, uh, to words and removing words off the page to isolate Uh, words that you can read Mm -hmm. and creating new works from them. So through this exercise, Isabel was essentially um, just trying to uh, create deeper truths that were expressed through these horribly written uh, apology statements. Mm -hmm. And it it ended up resulting in just these amazing uh, poems. So as Isabel was creating them, uh, they were posting them on their social media. It went viral. Um, there was a lot of attention surrounding uh, them and their work. And um, we had a conversation with Isabel and said we would love to put a collection of this together. And then there ended up being a, a little bit of a, uh, a bidding, not a bidding war, but we the, the viral aspect of the work that they were producing caught the attention of a major, some major publishers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So next thing we know, we found ourselves like, oh, we just sort of were like, well, it was really great, you know, chatting with <laughs> you and just know that we're huge fans of you and your work we're and like, we're super stoked that you're going to get picked up by a major. And um, a few days later, Isabel just circled back with us and was just like, none of that felt right. I don't want to be that. I want this work out in the world, but I want it out in the world on my own terms. And I love everything that you guys are doing and everything that you guys are about. And I'd rather have my book published under a press yeah. called University of Hell Press. Yeah. Than, you know. So um, I think uh, that was an interesting experience for us because we hadn't found ourselves in, in that position before from our standpoint. And really, when we are working with writers, 
we know where we are in the, I don't know, the pecking order. That's a dumb thing to say, but mm-hmm. um, where we stand in the world of publishing, right? So we're definitely about trying to grow our own writers and authors and gr- and g- give them the attention we know that they deserve and hopefully grow them into something larger than us, right? So that was just an interesting, We I wasn't prepared. None of us were prepared for that Uh uh, to have happen. Super thrilled that that happened for Isabel. But um, anyway, it's a, it's a really powerful book. And uh, later this year, on July 4th, we'll be publishing uh, the, the book inspired so many people that Isabel uh, put out a call and is collected an anthology that we will also be publishing. And it's tentatively titled Erasing the Patriarchy. Oh, and cool. it doesn't yeah. just focus specifically on male celebrities accused or uh, you know, alleged to have sexual misconduct. Mm-hmm. It literally, like, uh, it's it's also an amazing book. Like, people have contributed from around the world mm-hmm. and taken texts from r- their respective countries oh, wow. and applied the same in their own way. But it's it's another collection of erasure poetry, and it and it focuses on gleaning uh, truths from just this these ugly people ugly you know mm-hmm. yeah huh I'm, I'll I'll be buying that yeah. yeah yeah I remember um coming up to the table when I met you and seeing this book and remembered seeing the poetry on social media and was like that's you yeah <laughs> that's here I know well I do want to if I can there was um because most people if if you spend any time uh you know there, these apology statements were coming out on a daily basis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All, all these people were, but you know, everyone, of course, knows, and especially now that they're in the news again with the court case as uh, Harvey Weinstein. Uh-huh. But to give you an example of um, what Isabel had done to his apology statement, um, just to give you an idea as to what the piece that Isabel came up with is entitled "A Culture of Demons." And from his statement, they arrived at this, and it reads, I came of age in a culture of demons I respect more than women. Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. I opened straight up to the my dick section (laughs) and straight to the page that said, my dick is the cops. <laughs> and that's when I knew I needed to buy it. That's a bumper sticker. Oh. Well, the, uh, the, they can't pull you over if you got that bumper sticker. Exactly. <laughs> the first um, dozen or so erasure poems from the collection were inspired particularly from Louis C.K.'s yes. horrible yes. apology that's statement. That's where the title comes from, right? Actually, the title comes from... Um, uh, was oh God, I don't want to say the wrong celebrity, but it was something that was said that uh, a, a woman had accused a celebrity of having said at a party. Okay. Like, uh, okay. All this can be yours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Reminds me of Mandy. Tempting. Yeah. <laughs> Relatable. Uh, um, well, Oh, yeah. sorry. Go, no, go ahead. Can you remind me, what was Louis C.K.'s apology? Like, was it basically like, I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings? Wasn't it something like yeah. that? Like, yeah. I'm like sorry. I'm sorry you were hurt by yeah. me. Like, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. I just couldn't remember. Yeah, the cool thing with the collection is, is we, we didn't, um, 
include the original apology statements, nor oh. did we even give credit to who the apology statement came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And really, I mean, the price of the book alone is worth it for Isabel's introduction because it's just such a powerful introduction. But so much thought went into what the final product looked like. I think that probably also uh, led to her decision um, to go with us versus another yeah. Uh, was the fact that we were going to provide them with so much flexibility with what the final product was going to look like. Mm-hmm. And like re- there was a lot of thought and, you know, uh, so I'm yeah. really proud of that. Pro- I'm, I'm proud of all of our books, but that's a particularly um, from a punk rock yeah. standpoint. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, there's a lot of books in our collection that make a kind of punk rock statement. Yeah. And that one for sure definitely uh, – encompasses that mm-hmm, punk rock sure. yeah. yeah aesthetic yeah yeah kind of uh yeah all right well let's talk about university of hell a little yeah. bit right? All right well or a lot because that's lot. literally why you're here <laughs> 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 all right let's start at the beginning tell us about your original interest in writing how did you make the jump from writing and submitting to other presses to publishing your own work and then the work of others yeah so um I started writing right out of college. Uh, to give you a brief background, like I was always an avid reader growing up, and then once I got into college, I was overwhelmed with the curriculums that they made us read, and I just never connected with any language or writing that I felt I could produce myself. And it wasn't until after I got out of college and got exposed to what might have been considered some more underground writers. Hubert Selby Jr., Henry Rollins. Mm-hmm. Um, My birthday buddy. Oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you share a birthday with yeah, Rollins? Yeah, oh, Cool. And Jerry yeah. Springer. And Jerry Springer. <laughs> <laughs> that's hysterical. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I get, get Freddie Mercury and Dweezil Zappa. Nice. So, yeah. I don't Sorry. know any of mine off the top of my head. Oh, really? When's your birthday? May 12th. We'll tell you. <laughs> I don't know off the top of my head. While, while you continue we'll to talk up. about oh, yeah. the right. thing we asked you about and interrupted, I'm going to yeah. Um, I will say there, I, I, I did a pretty good job choosing coursework while I was in college that exposed me to some other works. The English track just put me on this weird path, and I couldn't connect with any of those writers. But I, ha- I was inspired by a lot of, I ended up earning a minor in sociology by accident <laughs> because I was taking all these classes that I was fed by that focused on the movements of the 60s, yeah. the social movements of the 60s, the women's movement. So I was taking women's studies classes and being exposed to women writers that I didn't know about before. Jeanette Winterson was a huge influence. Oh my God. I, on me. I love her so much. I still yeah. return to her book, Art, uh, Art Objects or Art Objects. Mm-hmm. I think it's a play on either. And they're, and they're essays written by um, Jeanette Winterson. Oh, I don't think I've read and that I've one. And I've taken, I, I practically have highlighted that entire book. I returned to it just for the, uh, the insights in that book. <clears throat> but, um, and not to mention the novels yeah. she's written yeah. as well. Um, but like Toni Morrison, uh, just writers like, like them. But, um, and then after getting out of college, I exposing myself to what might be considered more underground writers, but still having success like Charles Bukowski, um, stuff like that, who I didn't know about. So I was making my way in and finding my way to their work. And then suddenly I was like, oh, well, this feels like something I can connect with. There was a simplicity to the writing that and, and uh, a larger... <clears throat> 
meaning and density I felt underlying the words themselves um, that spoke to me more than anything else I had read before the, with the classics and yeah. either that kind of a thing. So that inspired, I started, um, I just started blind, blank books, you know, and then I was filling blank books all in every chance I could. And it mostly was, it kind of was journaling, but it was coming out in this poetry form, kind of prose poetry. And then I had it in my head that I was going to read out, like I knew that that was something. And uh, <laughs> and in living in D.C. at the time, um, there were a lot of venues for open mics and, and reading opportunities. So um, in a nutshell, I uh, within that first year of writing and reading out, I got approached by a small press in the D.C. area, uh, Red Dragon Press, uh, run by Laura Ka. And uh, she had published a number of collections before she had um, approached me and said that she was interested in putting together a collection of my work. And that the result of that ended up being my first book, which is Poetry in Hell. Mm -hmm. I was running a weekly open mic art series out of a bar called Hell. Oh. And, um, and the... The event was was a weekly event, and it was called Poetry in Hell. Mm -hmm. And so it just became, it just made sense to make that first book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> named no, totally Poetry yeah. in Hell. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So from that experience, um, I was kind of spoiled. Mm -hmm. Sure, I didn't know what I had just. What you had around you? Yeah, yeah what yeah. It, what what just happened? Like what all that meant? I'd had a. Um, I'd had a larger vision for what I thought my first book would look like. And so this book, while I'm very proud of it, was the product of somebody else's curating my work, pairing it with uh, an illustrator who's an astounding illustrator. But I wasn't involved in the process of that final product at all. And um, again, so thankful, like all, I'm like, this is how it's going to happen. I'm just going to continue writing. I'm just going to continue reading out. I'm going to continue sending stuff out and getting it stuff. Yeah. And people are going to find me. Yeah. And people are going to approach me. Hell yeah. And they're going to want to publish me. Yeah. <laughs> I remember thinking those things. <laughs> long, long ago. In the before time. <laughs> so, um, Poetry in Hell was my first book. And it was, I didn't realize how good I had it at the time. I was young. And uh, so thrilled about the experience, but thought that that, that things were going to come that easily. As, as long as I was focused on the work, which I constantly was, that somehow, miraculously, the work was going to be published on its own. That's familiar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a, a lot of people think that. Yeah, no, it's true. So yeah. Yeah. fast forward to um, all the heartache of like finding places to submit to. And at the time, it's pre-internet. So, like, I'm getting tomes of books from the local bookstore, the guide to whatever. Oh, oh right. The poets. That was. Right. Uh, right. Writer's, writer's Market. market? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my that. goodness. Yeah. So, Writer's Market, uh, they had a um, market, they had a poet's market. Oh, okay. Which was just as hefty and just Damn. as big. And yeah. so, I was going through there, and you're, mm -hmm. like, reading about every press. every, And it, they're not just presses, they're zines. Oh, wow. Okay. Primarily. Yeah. So now you're trying to find the zines that align with what you think your work fits. 
And then you're sending them money so they can send you samples of their zines. Sure, yeah, yeah. And then you're right. like, oh, yeah, this is the zine I want to yeah. send to. And then you send them work. And then, like, the whole process was so painful. The self-addressed stamped envelope. Yes, yeah. all of it. <laughs> and, like, over the course of that period of time, maybe a couple of poems got published. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, this is terrible. It's exhausting. <laughs> yeah. It is, yeah. So, um... Moved to San Diego, doesn't have much of a literary scene, trying to create a literary scene on my own, like by aligning myself with the few writers that I could find around town, trying to organize events like I did while I was in D.C., while not trying to, I mean, the weekly, do, can, can, um, doing a weekly series, I commend anybody that somehow manages to have a keep a weekly event going. That's a lot, yeah. Because I did that, and I'm like, There's that's no just downtime. too much. Yeah, 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 it's a lot. But anyway, at this, uh, the whole time, I'm writing, 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 amassing all this work. So from blank book one to blank book 30, now I've got just piles of blank books that nothing's happening with. And then I started thinking, well, and, I, and as I'm going through it, I'm like visualizing what the final product could look like, you know, from all this work. And I sort of settled on this thing once I got to a certain point. I was like, I feel like I've got at least two books, maybe three. And um, and at some point, I was just like, this none of this is going to publish itself. I'm not. I have not been successful connecting with the publishers I admire and love. Mm -hmm. Speaking of Rollins, yeah, you yeah. Know, mm -hmm. I mean, I was a huge two thirteen sixty one. Yeah, happy birthday. Right. <laughs> See? This is what I'm saying. I heard you say that on the other one, and I was like, oh, yeah. I remember now. By the way, when you're done, I have a list for you. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, and, you know, at the time, like, uh, with uh, Bukowski and how he sort of, like, created Black Sparrow. I mean, Black Sparrow wouldn't have been anywhere. Well, I mean, they published some really great writers, but to, have gr to grow to the extent that they did, I think, was largely from Bukowski and I don't love all of his work but he definitely was um somebody that like I clicked with the first time when I read one of his collections and I was like oh wow I've never seen anything like this before mm -hmm. I used to love Faulkner it's okay <laughs> <laughs> so it was this amalgam of things that I was being exposed to and at the same time while living in San Diego and coming from DC where discord is happening and in San Diego has such a great music scene and I found myself because there weren't many writers that I could connect with in San Diego I found myself running with the music crowd <coughs> and through that seeing them build trying to build themselves trying to make it in the industry right trying to like record their demo and everything's just sort of done out of love and you're trying to like break it make it kind of a thing DIY and they're just hitting the road and they're doing it and I'm just like how can you not be inspired by that energy so I was applying that to the writing and just being like how am I how am I going to make this happen like it's not going to happen clearly it hasn't happened on its own like that first initial magic so um I challenged myself to uh, spend some time thinking about what it would take to uh, self-publish. Yeah. So I made the decision to self-publish at that time and um, <clears throat> put my friends to work. 
Uh, I think that's good if, if you're like considering self-publishing while it's self it's you like I didn't do that alone. Mm-hmm. I, I had at least enough like I got on the phone with 21361. Oh, wow. Okay. And I'm yeah. like, who prints your books? Yeah. Yeah. I love the way the final product of mm-hmm. your books looks. Yeah. So it really started with what am I admiring that exists on my own bookshelf? Right. We're all avid readers. Hopefully, if you're a, a writer, you're constantly reading as well. And you're being exposed to all of these products and you're probably drawn to a certain kind of aesthetic. So then start deconstructing that aesthetic and figure out what it is that you'd like to see in the final product of your work and how you can make that happen. That that started to excite me a little bit. So I'd call 21361 and I'm like, hey, who prints your books? You know, it turns out McNaughton and Gunn up in Saline, Michigan or whatever prints their books. So they I'm like, still exist. Yeah. Yay! Oh, yeah, they do. Glad to yeah. hear that. So um, I started that conversation with a printer. I got spoiled um, out of the gate with because I had that experience with a traditional printer. Right. And it's really fun when you um, can play around with the materials and try to construct a final product that you're super happy with. But it's also, um, it can be a little, so I had arrived at a place where I was in a career in meeting planning and stars just sort of aligned at a certain point where um, I was doing well enough that I started to have a little bit of surplus of money in my account for a change instead of being constantly in debt. And I was like, well, why don't I try to figure out, you know, what the costs are associated with producing my own book? And I decided to start out small. So when I endeavored, I knew at that point, I knew I had a, I knew what, what I wanted that first book to look like, my first book. But I knew that I didn't want to just dive into that without first um, practicing. So the Burning Album of Lame, which was my next book, was, was truly my first self-published book. Um, but that was uh, me pulling uh, selections from this larger body of work into one small collection. And I had some fun with that. And that's where I, I took inventory of my friends around me and their abilities and identified a friend who's a graphic designer, you know, and I'm like, you don't know this yet, but you're going <laughs> to, <laughs> you're going to lay out my book and you're going to do a cool book cover uh-huh. and, uh, and I'm not going to pay you. Yeah. <laughs> What kind of pizza do you want? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to do it for free. And he did. And um, I had artists that I was friends with that I, whose aesthetic I enjoyed. And I thought, oh, hey, can you work on some artwork for my cover and maybe do some illustrative work for the inside, that kind of a thing. So I started out with a small collection, worked with the printer and got used to that experience. And then uh, that became the first one. And then a year later, I think I did Venue Voyeurisms, which was a collection of columns that I was writing for the local San Diego Alternative Weekly paper. And that had um, that has its own funny story. But basically what ended up resulting was I was going to different bars every week and just writing about whatever inspired me while occupying that space. Yeah. And they published whatever I sent them. It was remarkable. That's awesome. Oh, my (laughs) God. Yeah. So um, the whole time, like, I I don't know how to explain it, but I just tried to be open to what was happening around me. 
and uh, look for opportunities that I could try to um, involve myself in doing. Um, anyway, so um, the first two books felt like examples and tests that sort of paved the way for the next one. I finally did that. That Loser Makes Good really mm -hmm. felt like that was the book that I was ready to run with. Like you hit your stride. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had that work, that book was written in 1994 and then it finally got, you know, I finally published it, saw the light of day in 2005. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. never give up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. The other thing too was I, all those blank books were filled with handwriting. So type oh. as you're going. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh also my important. God. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Oh my God. Ugh. So your birthday buddies. Okay, yeah, go for it. Yeah. Um, you got Emilio Estevez. Oh, nice. That's pretty good. George Carlin. Oh, that's oh, great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, Stephen Baldwin, sorry. Uh. <laughs> that's your Jerry Springer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Catherine Hepburn and Florence Nightingale. Mm -hmm. And Tony Hawk. Nice. That's right, pretty good. Very, very nice. Yeah, that's a pretty good list. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wish yeah. I would have known that. I ran into him at the airport and had nothing to say. Oh, oh. no. You could have worked But it was awkward, reason. like... Yeah, once you I, I was at the San Diego airport. I was about to, I was going in the restroom while he yeah. was coming out. Yeah. It's not really like, a time oh, when you're yeah. like. It's time to like socialize. You're yeah, like, you catch true. eyes. And right. You're like, oh, I, I recognize. And yeah. it's like, oh, I, I better not maybe, I won't say anything this time. Yeah. He made but, some tweet yeah. where he was like, um, <laughs> did you see the one where he was like in the airline security? Yeah. And yeah, he, um, for whoever hasn't seen it, um, he was talking about the person who was looking at his passport said, Oh, Tony Hawk, like the skater. Wonder how he's doing. <laughs> I did see that. Yeah. that yeah. He's pretty funny on Twitter. Yeah. Tony Hawk. Yes. Not a bad birthday. Buddy. No, not at oh, all. You have no. Rami Malek and you have Freddie oh, Mercury. Yeah. So oh, that's wow. your guys's connection. Yeah, yeah, that's there you true. go. Rami yeah. Malek. He was he Freddie was Mercury in the, mo the yeah. movie. Uh, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, good to mm -hmm. know. Yep. Yep. I haven't seen it. I here, there's a lot of queer erasure in it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like Hollywood. So I think in your question, you asked, how did it go from self-publishing to then publishing others? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, moving from San Diego to Portland, finding myself in a very vibrant community, a, a really rich literary scene, uh, having pals books here mm -hmm. on just, um, you know, uh, immersing myself in the local scene, trying to find, like, I've, while I've never uh, competed in um, slam poetry, I've been drawn to supporting slam poetry, mm -hmm. so I've, I've often been in the audience, you know, at slam poetry um, events, uh, and just trying to connect with the community. That's what, that's what I found from the very beginning. So, like, if you're a writer out there who thinks that they're in this alone, that's that's a choice. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, you're making a choice. And I think that you're probably doing yourself a disservice if you are only trying to make a go of it by yourself. Yeah. Maybe falling mm -hmm. into a stereotype a little bit. Yeah. 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 Um, so I, I have always known when when I whenever I get too deep into the work mm -hmm. and I start to feel either lost or depressed. Mm hmm. I'm like, I need to connect with some people, you know, people that are engaged in the same activities that we are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's super important. I found myself last year, I was just like in a rut. 
Yeah. And I'm just like, I got to figure a way out of this. And I started connecting with people who I knew were operating in our sphere mm-hmm. that I hadn't spent time with yet, inviting them to coffee and just connecting, oh, not cool. really knowing what that was going to result in, yeah. but realizing that I am fed by that aspect of this world also Mm -hmm. that's literally what we're trying to do here too or like this is like get out of your little bubble and talk to some other publishing people maybe somebody doing something that you would never even think to do Mm -hmm. like with slam poetry where you're like i'm not going to do this but i'm going to support it yeah i'm going to enjoy it Mm -hmm. i'm going to like be there with people in person exactly Mm -hmm. yeah 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 so it was through that process now my books are in pals yeah Mm -hmm. and now people are finding their way to my books and now they're asking me, they're realizing, oh, you're this guy. And then they're like, oh, tell me more about University of Hell Press. Mm-hmm. And uh, after a while uh, was a conversation that I had with a writer that I admired who asked me that question where I was like, you know, it's just me. Uh, and um, I am University of Hell Press. <laughs> <laughs> is in session <laughs> <laughs> he said the comment was before i had revealed that i was that i was university of hell press <laughs> the comment was from him was i would kill to be published by a press with that name yeah and i thought well it's just me mm-hmm. but i admired his work and i challenged him to put together a collection mm-hmm. and i i thought i found that kind of interesting because his whole experience primarily up until that time was slam poetry yeah so he's a slam poet and so this was, you know, a uh, challenge to him that he took on to put together not only a collection of work that probably represented his slam poetry, but probably exercised some new muscles for him as well, because then he had to start to think about what those, how those words operated on the page. Mm-hmm. But um, he turned around a collection to me, and I was stoked, and I was like, absolutely. And so that ended up, I, I ended up publishing that under the University of Hell Press brand. And that just sort of, it's sort of snowballed Mm -hmm. from there. Did people come to you or did you seek out people after that? So, um, a mixture. Uh, People were approaching me primarily out of the gate when we finally kind of got organized. Uh, And I say we a lot, it ends up oftentimes being just me, but... (laughs) Sometimes (laughs) it's other people. Sometimes it is other people. Yeah. Yeah. But we finally got organized and you know had like a website that uh, included a submissions page and that kind of a thing so out of the gate like we launched with ongoing open submissions for book length works Mm -hmm. across any genre yeah wow and uh that didn't last very long because we were just overwhelmed um but to your question we ended up our our catalog is pretty evenly divided between solicited and unsolicited through that submission process. So um, painfully, we're trying to catch up on our production schedule right now. And we're probably a couple years away from reopening our submissions again. But I look forward to that because the work that has resulted from that is so amazing. And um, I know, I think one of the things that we want to discuss was like a mission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and um, it kind of, one of the things that I think about when I, th- as a writer first, before I ended up publishing, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Um, people tend to forget that. They know I'm the publisher, but then they don't realize like mm-hmm. I'm right. also a writer. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like people should sort of assume <laughs> yeah, that at least half so. of the people at a publishing company like yes. have those either they've done it before. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you would absolutely. yeah, you would hope so. I don't I don't feel that though. I think people at this point where I've arrived, they've made this pretty clear distinction that I am a publisher now. Well, if you've been burned before too, I can see yeah. how that would be mm-hmm. like. Yeah. 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 Boundaries. Right. I've been been hurt before. Yeah. I have to put up this I have wall. To put up the wall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I like to think that the work that I was doing uh, should see the light of day. Right. That's how I, I operated under that for a dozen years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> put on your out. own mask first. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, so one of the things that I enjoy is that there are people who are doing amazing things very quietly in corners of their world. And so tr- it's our job to try to ferret that work out. And um, I feel like that's part of our mission. But I, I, we're constantly evolving. So yeah. like this overall vision that I have for what the press is and what the press should be mm-hmm. is kind of changing quite a bit good but um yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean i think that answers the question well yeah i would say so (laughs) too yeah 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 all right so what do you consider the difference between publishing your own work versus being your own small publisher uh i.e self-publishing a book versus being a publisher and publishing your own book through that same route yeah, how do you switch from one headspace to another, yeah. maybe, too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I thought was interesting, like, when I thought about that question, I came at it sort of from different angles. But, um, and this came up in the one of your earlier podcasts that I listened to. And uh, I didn't, I didn't, I challenged myself to come up with a brand for self-publishing without, without any vision of what mm-hmm. that was going to become. And, um, and there, there was, there's been there, I was, I just came up with a good name. (laughs) Yeah. I I feel like that's a good start. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, is is this, is this work really from the university of hell? (laughs) Would they make an application to the university of hell and be accepted? Right. (laughs) That sounds really dumb what I just said. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) What came up in the earlier podcast that I that caught my ear was that as you're doing this work, if you're considering self-publishing, that you should cons- you should consider very carefully how you might brand that work. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I thought that that was key. I found myself doing that without really realizing it. It was like couldn't just put this out into the world with my byline. It needed to have a press name. I thought mm-hmm. to lend it some sort of legitimacy. I don't know. I had it in my head like. It would be more legitimate if it had a press name on it, blah, blah, blah. So mulling that out, I spent a lot of time before I'd arrived at University of Hell. As It was easy because Hell sort of followed me from Mm -hmm. doing the readings in D.C. in a bar called Hell. Is that bar still open, by the way? It's still there. Oh, good. I'm always happy to hear that. I know. Good. Yeah. Yeah. All I can think of right now is the the David Byrne talking head song about heaven. There's a bar called Heaven where nothing ever happens. <laughs> JT and I promised each other that whoever dies first, the yeah. other person is going to sing that at their funeral. 
so um, hell just sort of stuck with me, and uh, and I evolved into University of Hell mm-hmm. uh, as a as a brand for publishing. Um, it actually stemmed from a column I was writing, but that's a dumb story. I won't go into that. <laughs> <laughs> but when it came down to a decision about what's what's the press name going to be, I was like, oh, University of Hell. And uh, it's been it's been a fun ride because people really like gravitate to the name mm-hmm. for different reasons. We've had some that are like, whoa, <laughs> like they think we're uh, like a satanic publisher. Yeah. That's kind of awesome, though. Yeah, I mean, I that probably of, works in your I favor. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So I have a lot of con- conversations around, mm-hmm, oh, sure. y- do you just delve into the black uh, the black magic, yeah, that kind of stuff, horror, yeah. uh-huh, you know, that kind of sure. a thing. Yeah, and I'm like, well, we're open to it. <laughs> what do you got? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, early on, we made a decision to be a genreless press so that we could be surprised by what what came to us. Mm-hmm. And uh, and anyway, so our I feel like our catalog is quite eclectic. But I feel like I got away from the original question, which was like... You self-publishing yourself versus... Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> For me, my path didn't, it didn't occur to me. I had no idea while I was self-publishing that this was going to then end up being a publishing thing. It just sort of happened. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know what else to say about that. But like that question, being a publisher... And publishing your own book through that route, like deciding, like making a decision that you're going to be a publisher, and then amongst being a publisher, publishing your own work. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that could be a way of approaching it too. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I feel I still feel when I have conversations with people that they uh, they're like they're trying so hard to get uh, connected with a publisher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I have so many conversations and I'm trying to like inspire others to start their own. Yeah. But they fight me. (laughs) I mean, it's like they can't can't wrap their head around that (laughs) Mm -hmm. idea or for some reason that their accomplishment is diminished in some way. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Because they think that people there's like they need to be validated by somebody else. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's that sounds. I try to Mm -hmm. make it. I try to share, like, I'm happy to share any of the details of the inner workings of what it takes to run a publishing mm-hmm. press and what that looks like. Yeah. And um, and I'm, I'm constantly questioning how we're currently doing things. Yeah. The vision I have for what we're doing currently, I mean, and where we could be, could be completely different a year or two from now, and it might mm-hmm. be. Well, yeah. that, that actually, like, lends itself really well to the next question I want to ask, which is what what are your values and how do you like choose projects based on the values that you have? Yeah. Um, for us over the history of our press, it's been largely responding to the work that we've been given. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's so much great work that comes our way. Like if we could, I'd publish all of it. But, you know, I, it boils down to money really mm-hmm. and the ability and the time and the resources mm-hmm. that it takes to put a book into the world um but we're only held back by our m- minimal resources right so um <clears throat> when we green light a book like we're definitely committed to that work 
And I think that uh, more than anything, we're drawn to an aesthetic that we just know it when we see it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard to describe. Sure. Are there things that you see and you're like, no, 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 that's not us. Mm-hmm. Like, is there a kind of a heuristic for how you decide that? Yeah, I, I honestly think it, it has just, um, w- when we've gone through the submission process, there's been a couple of us, because we got to a point where we were getting so many submissions that yeah. we needed to like share the... <laughs> What yeah, how many in. people yeah. are involved here also? It, it can be incorporated into what I just yeah. asked. Yeah, um, well, there's me primarily, but I have a pool of editors that are, have been involved um, throughout. So mm-hmm. there's... Uh, and you're paying them now? <laughs> <laughs> we will be paying them now. <laughs> <laughs> and not in pizza. Good. It took us a, <laughs> it took us a while. It took us a while to get here, and that was one of the pain points. That's where I slipped into the depression last year. What mm-hmm. was just like we had managed to figure out how we could pay all of these vendors: mm-hmm. the printer, printer, the graphic designers, mm-hmm. the artists. If we had to commission artwork specifically, um, you know those kind of things, but we hadn't figured out paying ourselves mm-hmm. oh yeah mm-hmm. so that's where that was the <laughs> that's that's what made me depressed last like we figured out this mm-hmm. there's money and we figured out paying people are there are people being paid mm-hmm. you know there and we operate on independent contract right yeah clearly most don't people have people do on now. staff <laughs> yeah yeah right. i thought at one point i did have a vision where it was like we grow it to an extent where we have staff mm-hmm. well i'm kind of not thinking that's the direction we're going to go in anytime soon anyway mm-hmm. but i am being an uh, independent contractor by trade there's so much value in that mm-hmm. and it's cool too because people can pick and choose when they're involved that kind of a thing so um i have an incredible group of graphic designers that I can go to on any given project. So likewise, my um, approach is changing as it relates to editing and proofreading the books that we are producing. So that, and now putting at least some dollar amounts associated with that work, so everybody's getting something. Yeah. Mm. So I am so thankful for the crew of editors to date have contributed for free their abilities to help get these books out into the world. And um, Amy in San Diego, Eve and John Barrios, uh, Tyler Atwood, he's in Denver, but Eve Connell, I mean, she up until recently was the managing editor and just assumed that role and wasn't being paid for that role. And they've all just been with you from the beginning on this? Pretty much. Wow. Mm. Wow. Some have just joined cool. as, as we've progressed and just into the work that we're producing and the mission and that kind of a thing, the strength of the brand, those sorts of things. They're just enjoying being aligned with something cool that's happening, but none of it feels good when I can't pay them for their work right mm-hmm. so we're finally on the other side of that but at the same time like i've had i've made a decision to slow things down until we can get ahead of that mm-hmm. yeah and to date i have literally not taken a penny personally mm-hmm. from all in fact it's been a major debt over the years i can quantify it makes me cringe i won't make yeah. you do that yeah. <laughs> I won't speak, yeah. but I, you know, we don't want you to slip into <laughs> another <laughs> depression <laughs> yeah we don't have any pizza to yeah. pay you for your <laughs> emotional <laughs> labor <laughs> no 
Nope. Nope. We don't pay anyone to be on the podcast either, for the record. (laughs) (laughs) But um, so since 2012, we've published 34 books. Since 2012. Since 2012. Damn. That's a lot. And uh, we've got three books on the calendar for this year and looking like three books on the calendar for next year. And then after that, I'm hoping that we're in a place where we are able to entertain new works. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So I'm committed to the work that we've got currently and also committed to sorting out the financial aspect of all of this so that I can feel better about um, the whole business of publishing. I feel I like we've answered a lot of I these think questions. We have too, I was gonna say. Um, oh, wait, here's one. What are your thoughts on the current state of the publishing industry as a whole? What yeah. would you like to see change? How many bad things can you say about Amazon? <laughs> let's, let's That's talk, my question. <laughs> let's talk about all of the shit storms that happened this week. Yeah. <laughs> about racism. Yeah. Oh gosh. And, yeah. Right. <laughs> there's a lot going on. Wow, we I don't know what to say about the current state of publishing really. I have uh, some of the people that I have made a point to connect with over the past year are folks that I feel are peers because mm-hmm. uh, I don't have too many people that I can talk to about the business of publishing itself as an independent publisher. Hmm. So I've been very lucky and I'm always trying to align myself with uh, presses that I, who impress me, who, whose work, who I feel are doing really great work and are managing some degree of success. So trying to gain insights into the work that they're doing and then also considering their approach to their publishing calendar, how they're handling submissions, all of it. And um, I don't think about the majors too much, but I do think about I do think about how it would be awesome if known authors who constantly are pushing millions of copies, no matter what title they're publishing, if they could put on some sort of philanthropic hat and be like, I'm going to choose, in my career, mm-hmm. I'm going to choose, one of my books is going to go to an indie press. That would be cool. You know what yeah, I mean? They yeah. have the ability, and when I, hearkening back to like a Charles Bukowski who mm-hmm. built a house. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like there are known named authors who have that ability. Right. And maybe, uh, maybe it's nothing like, oh, it's their next novel. Sure. Maybe it's yeah. like just their name attached to something they dabbled in. Yeah. It could be poetry or something off genre or whatever. Like filmmakers yeah. who like present foreign films right. and like put their like, yeah. production They're house behind it and all that stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All I can think of right now is James Patterson, who was like, yeah, I'm self-publishing now. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah but he's also thing. super he's, philanthropic, yeah. too. Like, he gives, like, what, millions of dollars to, like, libraries and independent bookstores. And he has that and, like, bookseller award yeah. of the year yeah. every, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but we don't have many James Pattersons, in my opinion. <laughs> and he, it's right? not the same thing that you're talking yeah, about, no, either. Totally yeah. Different. Yeah. I just, I just try to imagine, like, what could be a creative approach that would mix things up a little bit mm-hmm. sure and i do yeah. know there's a distribution issues with that too though right i'm yeah. sure they're mm-hmm. tied in with all these contracts yeah that have all this language that prohibits them but then i think back to um independent artists musicians that i admire who have who have um driven the terms of their own contracts that free them up mm-hmm. i think of um there's a 
musician in San Diego, John Reese, who's had his hand in a number of different bands, but um, started out in Pitchfork and then went on to Drive Like Jehu. Oh, and yeah. And then Rocket from the Crypt. Oh, okay. And then Hot Snakes and all these different things. But during the time that um, he was doing, when Rocket from the Crypt attracted all this major label interest, he said, well, we'll engage in, you know, who's going to allow us flexibility with our contract so that we can either press our own uh, singles or minor releases or whatever. You know, I start thinking about, I, I start to think about stuff like that and how yeah. that might apply to the publishing world. But as far as Amazon. Yeah. Um, that was really just me goading you into talking shit about Amazon. <laughs> I do that to like every guest. <laughs> Getter, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got an axe to grind. Yeah. Yeah. We, we um, in order to um, produce more works, uh, we do use the print on demand. Oh, okay. Model. Sure. Yeah. Yep. And we did just recently uh, partner with a major distributor. Oh, cool. SCB Distributors. Okay. Uh, they're in California. Um, and that's a, uh, just a year old relationship so far. But we went from uh, being totally uh, beholden to the models that uh, Ingram and Amazon mm -hmm. to like being able to uh, entertain some other uh, options and models and stuff like that. So we're still using print on demand as our printer yeah. at this point. Sure. But I'm, I'm super excited. So you asked about publishing. I'm super excited about some of the things that are happening to compete with Amazon yep. yeah. to compete with. So I'm I'm hopeful within the next year or two that somebody uh, uh, figures out a hybrid model for that bridges print on demand with traditional printing. Mm -hmm. And I think some of them are starting to do that because uh, the traditional printers have got to be feeling the pinch I'm sure. from all yeah. this print on demand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, like Ingram and Amazon, they're like huge. Mm -hmm. I don't know how these traditional printers are managing to succeed at mm -hmm. this point if they were solely focused on book printing. Mm -hmm. But I do feel like the biggest pain point is um, the fact that we can't commit to the inventory that the traditional printers require to get those price breaks for better per unit. Yeah. That's a whole other thing. But so, yeah. But I'd love to see a traditional printer emerge that competes with that. That's like, we're going to do limited runs as often as you need them. Yeah. And we'll keep your files on, on in our database. Yeah. And we'll make it easier for you and keep the costs so that they're at least competitive with the print-on-demand. Right. Mm -hmm. I think we're close. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've had some fun, fruitful conversations with some printers that are trying to, like, mix it up and I would love to consider partnering with a printer that has us um, producing uh, uh, just, you know, outside of the limitations of the print on demand mm -hmm. right. model. Yeah. We need some, yep. we need some branding aesthetic for printers. Like yeah. God, yeah. Get the energy behind them, all that yeah, good really. stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, c I can't talk crap about Amazon too much. Sure. I just wish that, um, the print-on-demand companies mm -hmm. that are behind Amazon mm -hmm. would come up with a more creative solution for satisfying both online sales and brick-and-mortar. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. 
supplying bookstores. And that's where we were at. So we were trying to fill, we were trying to create our own relationships directly with brick and mortar stores so that we could satisfy the terms, you know, make our books attractive to them to put on their shelves and that kind of a thing. And it mostly boils down to money, costs, that kind of a thing. And uh, it feels like the Amazons uh, have conducted themselves in a way that are just interested in squashing like every mm-hmm. brick and mortar store everywhere, which is horrible. They yeah. sure have. Yep. But we're not about that. Mm-hmm. So we've mm-hmm. moved away while they're still getting money from us through this print on demand. They've mm-hmm. solely are operating as our printers. They're no longer our distributor. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The solutions in my mind are easy, but nobody's listening to me <laughs> because, <laughs> because we, Why only, would they? we only represent so much. We clearly don't represent well, it, when it comes to smaller a print runs, it sure. like yeah. costs almost more to do a smaller print run. But on the mm-hmm. other hand, like you're not gonna s- if you're not gonna sell a whole bunch of books, yeah. then you're still losing money. Right. So yeah. right. it's this kind of catch twenty two yeah. sort mm-hmm. of thing. We've yeah. we've done well enough to get an email eventually, but they won't pick up the phone. Oh. Oh right. yeah, no, no, yeah. no, no, no. Yeah. They never do. If no. I call, they're not picking up the phone. No, they just <laughs> they, they don't they'll, do they'll get to my email uh, yeah. at some point. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So do you get like a real answer, or is like a robot answering you? Well, we we've graduated. You have like a rep. We've graduated from the auto. Oh, okay. To like a real person. To an actual person. Damn. Emailing you. Though. That is impressive. Emailing, but yeah, take, but not you know, It's delayed. Right. Yeah, of I course. got an email once when I was trying to feed. We we were doing video stuff and i was like we don't know why they took this video down and i was bothering them bothering bothering them because i'm good at that and finally i got an email from a normal person who was just like stop there is nothing (laughs) they literally were like there is nothing you can do to make us put this video back up so stop trying like that's what they said like almost that mean almost using those like using many of those exact words <laughs> there is nothing you can do is like was definitely used in that email. <laughs> I was like, I'm not responding to this, <laughs> but at least I know what's going on now. Oh, man. That's funny. And that's uh, what power does. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. You're lucky. I'm answering you please. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's move on to brighter subjects. Yes. Um, we haven't actually asked this question in a while, but like you were talking about how important it is for book people and publishing people to read. Mm-hmm. What you reading? Oh. Or what do you wish you were reading? Yeah. Or like, what'd you read a chapter of like a month ago that you still consider yourself reading? Um, <laughs> Not that's never happened to me. No. <laughs> I'm trying to, uh, in, in an effort to try to solve some of these financial things, I'm reading uh, more books about the business of, writing and publishing okay so um oh man and i'm revisiting the one fun thing that i am enjoying currently is revisiting uh stephen king's on writing oh yeah his book on writing it's a good one you know Mm -hmm. uh and that's just kind of light fun reading for me but i've been reading uh company of one is a kind of a business book that's focused on the strength of you know all instead of this mentality of like trying to grow your company to you know this this continued occupation with growth 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 Mm -hmm. like focusing more on quality and niche and so that's kind of the material that I've been trying to expose myself to uh, and feed and just being and uh, I haven't done a ton of reading about 
the business of writing and publishing. Mm -hmm. And there's some out there now. One that was published, and it sucks that I can't think of the name of it. But I'm in the middle of reading is about, I think it's just called The Business of Writing or The Business of Being a Writer. And I think it was published by Chicago University mm -hmm. Press. Yeah. 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 And I'm not very far into it, but mm -hmm. I'm like, you know what? I took a step back because I've all of the reading I'd done pretty much to date has just been creative writing. Sure. Right. Yeah. Kind of stuff as mm -hmm. opposed to a concerted effort to learn more about the work mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. and the business at hand. Mm -hmm. So um, that's kind of where I'm at. I've just got all these piles of books and I have this um, dream of shifting personally writing into uh, doing screenplay writing. Oh, fun. So now I'm like, I've got like five books that I'm in the middle of reading concurrently about screenplay writing specifically. Well, where can people find your books and you <coughs> online? So universityofhellpress.com. Easy. That's easy. That's our website. We're on all the social media. So Facebook, we're commonly posting the most updated information through our University of Hell uh, Facebook page. We're active on Twitter and Instagram. Mm -hmm. People love the Instagram. Mm, they do. I love Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you can find me personally, too, through, um, through Facebook is mm -hmm. a good way to connect with me. Um, yeah friend me or message me or whatever. All right. <laughs> oh, let's be Facebook friends. Yeah. Yay. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Karin, you got anything else to add? Nope, that's it. Nothing. Uh, what about you? I might have one more thing to yeah. add. Yes. That your writer audience might not be thinking about. Okay. Is uh, diversifying your work. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Possibly. Yeah. How? Well, it's just something I've been thinking about lately, but um, <clears throat> as in this approach to the business of publishing, there's also, I think, a hat you should wear when you're writing and approaching the business of writing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, too, I w some of us maybe get locked into a s particular genre. You might free yourself up and consider uh, other avenues of just actively writing mm -hmm. and doing more work. It just made me think, so uh, another path that my careers, my writing career is taking me to, I'm the, as the editor-in-chief of the Big Smoke America, <gasps> right. is, a, is an online um, <coughs> opinions and editorials website, mm -hmm. and I'm constantly looking for work for it. But I've learned through that that there are, th I've challenged, particularly in lieu of the current events of the day, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's Brexit day and yeah. all that stuff <laughs> and all this this like cycle we find ourselves stuck in mm -hmm. I have challenged I feel like the solutions don't are not going to be solved within the meatheads that are trying to run things currently right they need an injection of creative yeah. energy and spark mm-hmm so within that, where I've challenged some of my own authors from University of Health Press to contribute to the big smoke, mm -hmm. they never would have even thought of that because we're publishing a lot of culture and politics and activism mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But we all have opinions and thoughts about that. I feel like the work that I've managed to edit and publish through the big smoke 
has been super inspiring because it's taking creative minds and applying them to current events. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of things being solved in that space that just aren't happening, you know, in this old world. With the people who are supposed to be doing it. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I've, I've found from that that there are writers who are contributing to that who are um, exercising muscles they might not have considered exercising. And it's a way of... Um, they're so and uh, they're so focused on the creative work and publishing book length works, but in the meantime, they can be expanding their audience, yes. remaining active, and having their byline out there more continuously, and have a mechanism for promoting as they're completing uh, larger works. Just something I thought I'd throw out there that writers might not be thinking about as they're so focused on the work that they're producing for maybe towards a book length work that there are other opportunities. And there's a lot of great literary magazines and stuff like that that are doing great things. The kind of tools and online stuff that it, I would have been so thrilled to have access yeah. to when I first started writing and was having to pour through stupid books and try to like find people around the country. Now, with the internet, you can find all these really great things that are happening that you can contribute to and get your name out there and that kind of a thing. Okay. Where can, uh, where can listeners find the Big, s big Smoke? The Big Smoke. So it's just thebigsmoke.com. There you go. Cool. Yeah, thebigsmoke.com. And there is a submissions page on there. So there's a section that says write for us and it includes all the things. And that's another way to find me also. Great. Yeah. And that's a political, cultural. It includes politics, culture. I've got some writers uh, that contribute book reviews, film reviews, that kind of thing. But uh, mm -hmm. some of the larger topics that are being addressed, especially in the Me Too era and with uh, the politics, like I already said, yeah. it's like. We all want to try to be balanced and stuff like that. This is an avenue, you know, where if you have something meaningful to say, it feels like an extension of the work that we're producing th uh, with the books, but addressing it on a daily basis. Yeah. So life. I'm, you know, it's sort of by extension is it has this edgy, maybe irreverent style, but it's also thought provoking. And um, yeah. All right, Greg. Thank you guys so much. Thank, thank you for yeah, being on our show. Yes. And thank you again for bringing us presents. Yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. What, what did you bring books? us? Yeah, yeah. I brought, well, I brought you Isabel's book, All This Can Be Yours. That one's mm -hmm. for Corinne. Thank you. Uh, so I basically brought, um, we put out four books uh, last year. Mm -hmm. So Great. I brought you the four books we produced last year. It includes uh, Liz Scott's This Never Happened, I, her memoir. I introduced Liz Scott at um, Portland Book Festival. Did you she really? did her pop-up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. yeah. I really like It was devastating. Yeah. <laughs> this Mom memoir stuff. is amazing. Yeah. We submitted, uh, it's not the first book we've submitted to the Oregon Book Awards, mm -hmm. but we did submit it and it didn't end up uh, making as a finalist, mm -hmm. which like bums me out. Yeah. Because it's a stellar, stellar book. Mm -hmm. So um, this this never happened by Liz Scott is a memoir, uh, and then a couple collections of poetry. Uh, the Great right here by Ellen Touchette. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, most of my heroes don't appear on No Stamps by Rand Walker. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll look at we'll fight over this. Yeah, we sure will. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, Greg. Thank you so much for thank coming you. in today again. And um, appreciate it. 
yeah, we really enjoyed talking yes, with you and like keep up the good work. Yeah. Right, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can find us on uh, hybridpubscout.com, mm-hmm. Facebook, Hybrid Pub Scout, Twitter, at Hybrid Pub Scout, on Instagram, at Hybrid Pub Scout Pod. Mm-hmm. And join our newsletter. Yeah. Subscribe on any of your favorite podcast apps and please give us a five star rating. We'll and- accept no less. <laughs> That's no, true. We'll have to, but okay. well, we we'll, would prefer five stars. Yeah. 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 Well, I'll look askance at you otherwise. <laughs> um. <laughs> You're invisible person. <laughs> um, and thanks for giving her a rip about books. <laughs>